Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today on Data Protection Gumbo, I have the pleasure of speaking with Claude Iguinta, and he is the Chief Executive Officer at Mimo, which is a company creating assets and tools to help its users through variant market cycles. And of course, I'll have him to go more in depth around what exactly they do, because I'm sure that that doesn't do it justice. So, Claude, welcome to the gumbo. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for welcoming me and Happy New Year. <laughs> well, it's, Same uh, to you. <laughs> glad to be here. We started the company. I mean, the company was started like quite 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 a long time ago, but it became what is Mimo today when we decided to solve the, the problem of really having software that can help users in varying market cycles. This is why it became like somewhat of a, of a timeline, of a, of a tagline. Mm-hmm. As in like, okay. what we mean by market cycles is really about crypto market cycles. You know, crypto has like a bull runs and bear markets and all those things. And there is an immense volatility between between like those two. And we realized that most of the products were like pretty much only made for bull runs. So mm-hmm. the entire market dies and most of the software dies as soon as the market goes down. And we felt it was just not great. It was not like a, I would say, a sustainable, like a base to create an industry if it was so mm-hmm. market dependent. And we felt like users should be, like should be having like better tools to go through different cycles. And we realized that, you know, people need better like infrastructure. We started with okay. stable coins. We made a euro stable coin. Then like what we're focusing on right now is more of a like tokenization of real world assets. So what we mean by mm-hmm. real world assets could be like pretty much anything ranging from treasury bills to real estate to even like a Bitcoin mining farm, like anything that is like ten, more like we'd say tangible. And by real world assets, okay. it, we mean this as, as opposed to digital native assets on chain. So, you know, as opposed to things like Ethereum as Bitcoin directly, you know, mm-hmm. are already tokenized in a way. Like we, we believe that one of the ways you can help people stay in crypto when the markets for crypto assets is not good is to leverage the crypto infrastructure with assets that are not crypto native assets. Like the treasury bill does not really care whether the price of Bitcoin is high or not. And, okay. but the, the software in crypto has been like really, really like, um, evolving in order to allow people to manage their finances in a more, I would say, reliable way than the, what the banking network can do for, for some things. And we, and let, you, do you mind if we talk, if we dive into that, that you said the, the actual software behind uh, crypto, right? Yeah. Uh, but you, you are an, an expert in finance and also blockchain. So uh, I really appreciate you taking taking that on as uh, an endeavor because it's not it's not meant for everyone to do. You have to really be like yeah, really today, into in, into that particular. Today right? it is still like a. I mean, the mission of crypto to to be able to you know, offer an actual alternative to the financial system is not is far from being like accomplished. Right, the, the mission is still ongoing, but 
it's a lot of tools have been developed. It started with like just coins, like Bitcoin, that, that were not doing nothing else than allowing you to, to move them around 24-7. And then it became like an application, like, a, like a, there's a whole, a whole thing of an application network. When Ethereum came, like it, it became a form of a decentralized computer where people just run software in the form of smart contracts. Like you throw money somewhere and when this money is thrown in a certain way, you can call a function and this function executes something that moves money in a certain way and all that. And when you see how those things can run, you like some people were very smart and started to create, to kind of mimic banking infrastructure in the form of smart contracts that could yeah. not really be corrupted, that could work 24-7 and all that. And because of those guarantees offered by smart contracts, in some ways, it became just more reliable than the banking system for a few things, at least. Not like clearly not for everything, but for a few things, it's just more effective. It's just simpler to use. It's weird to say, but using a lending platform is somewhat easier than using your bank for borrowing something against collateral. Like it, we're talking about so, like three yeah. more clicks versus. So that, that, does that mean that blockchain is maybe a little more secure? than the traditional financial system, the way it's set up, or it's how, a, how, does, so, how does security, yeah. how does security and protection look? Uh, so, in, uh, so that's yeah. a good question. The, the way it works is that the types of attack vectors on both sides are different. If you talk security of the banking system, when, if you look at, if you look at it from the, I would say the consumer's perspective. So what I was saying is that the attack vectors on both sides, on the financial, the traditional financial sector versus the. I would say the crypto sector are are different. Like from a user perspective, like uh, if you're a user, what do you risk when you put money in your bank? Well, the bank can seize your funds. If, for example, it's compliance, like it is doing a routine compliance check and feels like it feels like you you should just not access your funds now. The, comp the, the bank can prevent you from withdrawing your funds. Like essentially you're at the mercy of the policy of the bank, which okay. is at the mercy of the policies of the regulator that it abides by like, uh, the, the bank is regulated it's regulator it can tell something but it's also the yeah i think like that's the sec right that depends on the country in the, in the u.s the uh, it's a you know you have multiple regulators in the u.s you have the fed in the u.s mostly uh for mm. for for banks but uh, okay. for 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 most countries it's a central bank but you know again like it's uh essentially just the regulator of the bank like um, tells them to do something and they have to do it and in addition to their internal policies the bank also could you know move your funds uh from a certain like at their discretion if you fit a certain risk profile or something like that you also have a certain risk of getting your logins and password like uh, compromised some somebody could come and just steal your stuff uh, you know, there's quite a few attack vectors. That's what you have with the banking system. In crypto, you have a different type of attack vector. You have two ways of using crypto in general. Uh, you have the custodian and non-custodial non way. I will focus on the non-custodial way. Uh, the reason being that if you use somebody to store your crypto and you don't store it yourself, you might as well use a bank because at this point you share the issues of the bank and the issues of crypto. All at once, okay. and also, I mean, this is something you could do before crypto. You will be able to, you will be able to do it without, with or without crypto. So, in my opinion, it's, it's not really necessary to discuss that part. But if we are looking at, if we're looking at it from the, the more normal crypto way of doing things, which is, which is the non-custodial way, which means like self-custody, 
right? Like uh, you as a user is a custodian of your own crypto. Then your risk is somebody finding your, you know, private keys. That's that's the risk. And and then like whatever platform you you are using could be hacked. Those are the, t- right. the typical vectors, right? So somebody compromising okay. your security, somebody compromising the security of the smart contract. I'm, I'm specifying things in the scope of Ethereum applications. For Bitcoin, there's no real applications, so it's really about your private keys. So then, like, if we want to say which one is more secure, it's about like on the one hand, your security is handed off to people who should be experts but are mandated to do some stuff about your property. On the other side, it's about self-custody. But you're on your own, yes, but you can have all the tools in the world that you that you can use to safeguard your things. If you want to put them in the safe in the middle of Australia, then that, that's it. And whoever will be able to find that, like, and we'll need to know how to use it. Is, is you know it's a, it's another rather big problem like you can there's no limit to how much you can secure this thing but also when it comes to enemies such as like nation states or so like petty thieves like from any a wide array of enemies you do have like i would say you, you have a, a lot of a lot of options when you when you consider yourself okay. that you just do not have so yeah answer and... your question is not a black mm-hmm. and white answer it's more of a those are the risks are different. In okay. what crypto intends to be is an alternative. Self custody okay. versus custody. We just give people the possibility of custody of uh, self custody, which in some regimes is the only op- is the only safe option. And you you also mentioned the c- central bank. So I, I've I've also read about central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. Yeah. They're they're on the horizon. What what are some of the cybersecurity challenges that you foresee and also how should institutions prepare to protect their digital assets and also the client data? So that's an interesting one. Again, like I will first go on the CBD, CBDC front and then like okay. explain of the, the risk like with or without CBDCs and with crypto and this thing. CBDCs could be any form of digital representation of, of the local currency. So CBDCs are a way for government to like uh, remove the banks out of the equation. Like, uh, you know, typically, like as, you know, as, a, as somebody in the country X, you use the currency A of country X and it's issued via banks, it's managed with by banks and the way the government and the, I mean, the residents like uh, use the currency, the users of the currency, like, like essentially like play the game is via banks. Banks are the center of, of the currency world. But with CBDCs, you can distribute and safeguard currency on servers directly. Like you don't really need the banks anymore. Some people were thinking that CBDCs would be a danger for crypto industry, but it's actually a much bigger danger to banks. Like the crypto industry does not really care about like CBDCs or not. Like we're just building software for digital assets to be moved left and right. And if anything, maybe CBDCs would be compatible with the type of software we are building. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily a, it's not necessarily a thing against us. Might even be going in our direction. But banks, on the other hand, like lose a lot of their utility from the moment you do not need them for safeguarding your assets. You do not. You might like. Then what's next? Like peer-to-peer banking. Oh well, just like in crypto, 
it's it's just like or the government could be your lender the government could just like you know have a centralized way of lending money and then banks really really lose a lot of utility so then that's the thing but to go back to your question about security like how would the institution safeguard their assets in the like with cbdc's that would be very likely directly handled by the government so the government would be insuring your funds and say well you have assets here and you safeguard them with us and that's it but depending on how they implement cbdc's it could be like crypto where people are responsible for self-custody which would kind of be risky from a government standpoint. I imagine, like, because that would have a lot of assumptions of uh, a lot of assumptions that people are good enough to insert in fund, and then you would just have a very rough, I would say, customer service for your currency. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what happens when you lose your keys? Like, who do you complain to, and this and that? Like, yeah. whereas, like, if the government, you know, safeguards them, then you know you can have more regular processes. So, just like you would do with a bank. So. I would imagine, like from a government perspective, having like a case of banking directly with the government would be a thing. But when you see what the U.S. did, the mm-hmm. like the U.S. is probably not moving towards cutting off the banks from the equation. So that might yeah. just not happen. It might, or it might happen like step by step. Every everybody around the world has different stances on how they want to move with CBDCs. Mm. From safeguarding, yeah. it might just be handled by the government. But now, when it comes to crypto in general, like a crypto asset, and which options do institutions have for safeguarding their customers' data or customer assets if they want to deal with crypto. It's, again, self-custody is pretty convenient and you have a lot of providers that help you with self-custody. So you're still custodian, but they tell you how to secure and you pay them for that and you have experts. And then you kind of have best of both worlds. You still have the self-custody, you're responsible for your assets, but you have the help of professionals and you could have insurance services as well. So it's, it's more that people are rebuilding like what they believe would be a better world piece by piece. It is how it's going to work. And from a security standpoint, the amount, I mean, the amount of, of hacks and attacks that the crypto networks are, are having every day is, is pretty gigantic because people are still, there's still a lot of people that can hack, hack around and get away with it. So like once you... Like once you manage to be like really, really safe and secure on, on crypto networks, you have just to achieve that, you need to be pretty, to be thinking about security quite a lot, which is not necessarily true in the traditional finance world where you could just like not do much, but because you have all these insurances and stuff like that, you could, you know, have a, a password written on, on post-it and, and call it today, which, which is what most people do in crypto. You don't yeah, really have. And that. so you, you mentioned and I really didn't think about this. That is it the blockchain that you're saying is trying they're, they're trying to hack into that, or so or it's just different different cryptocurrencies? Because I'm wondering if ransomware mm-hmm. is also a thing that. So uh, here's how it goes. I, I will go on the Ethereum world for for simplifying this because this is where most okay. of the Ethereum have, world. Well, the Ethereum world, right? In the Ethereum world, you have smart contracts. You have like a smart contract that are applications. And you have a lot of people putting money in these smart contracts for services, like a lending platform that just like like a peer-to-peer bank and stuff like that. Those, you have a lot of, I would say, uh, a lot of hackers, a lot of people that are looking at those to, to try to exploit them. And, you know, like the, the bigger the grow, the bigger the honeypot. And if there's, when you have like $20 billion in the platform, well, it's a $20 billion honeypot. So right. you have like a, you know, solid insurance to make you believe that this thing is kind of safe because, you know, if it's, if the opportunity, if the opportunity of stealing something is $20 billion, you know, it would have been taken like uh, if it was easy to do. So it's, uh, 
it's always like a blockchain is always like to see how secure a chain is or an application is. People generally look at the total value locked or the total amount of money that could be stolen, right? And this okay. is like a, that, that how people used to say like, oh yeah, Ethereum is whatever billion dollars secure. And because, well, you know, if it could be hacked, it would have been hacked given like how much money there is there. So it's it's not like yeah. necessarily only the chain, it's the chain and the applications that could be hacked because again, there's an opportunity. And the, the good thing is that Software development for people who work on chain is mm -hmm. very rigorous when it comes to serious applications. What I mean by serious applications that will be facing institutions and stuff like that. People do not put software online the same way they put software online in, in the non-crypto world. When they mm -hmm. put software online, they tend to go for auditors before. They go for security audits, multiple audits, and stuff like that. And those audits are made public. Most of the code, the code for application is always public. So you can read the code, you can read the audits, you have like a certain amount of transparency that you just do not have with traditional banking software or any form of like a non-crypto software in general. Like you go to mm -hmm. the website of say, you know, when you go on Facebook, you go on Google, you have no idea of the source code of whatever you're using. Same when right. you go to the HSBC website, like um, you have no idea. And that, that's just how it works. doesn't mean it's bad. That, that's, that's how it's been designed. But on crypto, okay. if, you, if you log on to Aave with your Ethereum wallet and stuff like that, you just open and you can see the source code of everything you're using. And you can see hmm. who audited this and when and what they say the, find, the security findings were. The way that the crypto industry is solving security is like security through transparency. It's, it's mm -hmm. open in front of everyone. So audit your stuff, do your own due mm -hmm. diligence and use it or not. But it gives this option. And coming from, I'm a software engineer at heart, right? This is mm -hmm. what I studied okay. and this is not what I'm doing as a job anymore because I, I run the business, but I'm an engineer. A lot of people coming from the same world as me like this better because, well, it, it kind of empowers you, right? You come, you see what you're using, you can still decide not to. You, you have the option. And again, as I said a bit earlier, crypto is about giving people an alternative. And not everybody's a programmer that go and read the source code of everything they're doing, but a lot of people do know programmers that they can trust. You can ask people around you, can you check this thing for me? Is this safe? And the more people are able to do this, the better, because you just couldn't do this with traditional banking. You had to trust like that one big bank and you have to hope that, they, that they're not running away with your funds. Of course, they, because they're regulated technically, they should have, they should abide by a certain way of doing things and all that. But we've seen multiple times, this is not okay. always how it works. Let's maybe one final question here. Do, and one thing I've been curious of is that when I remember when, when cryptocurrency actually became this huge thing and Bitcoin went on its run, I think it went up to what, 70,000, 80,000. I don't know what that number was, but it yeah. was a really high number. Yeah, there were billion, billionaires. Yeah, millionaires made overnight or whatever. But in my mind, I'm thinking that one day in the in the future, whether it's 10 years or 20 years or 50 years from now, that all paper money is is going away and, and we'll have some type of digital currency. And that, that'll be the, the final foray from a financial system perspective. Do, do, what, what do you see? So the end of cash... Is not something we're looking forward to as people in the crypto industry. Okay. Bitcoin was invented as a form of digital cash. 
because it should offer the guarantees of cash, except it should be digital. That, that was kind of one of the goals. Like It's not like the main goal. It's more, to be fair, it's more digital gold than digital cash. But the spirit is to have something in your pocket that you could move freely and all that. What it doesn't okay. have that cash has is anonymity. Like cash is kind of hard to trace. So that, that's, that, that's pretty, I would say that's, and therefore it has some privacy implications. Like when you spend your cash, it's private. Like you can't give cash to people that you would not really want to know your name. Whereas like with, with uh, digital money and like with your credit card and anything, you're not really protected by any of those things. Like your privacy is kind of in the open. And uh, from a privacy perspective, crypto, uh, unless you're using private chain, not a private chain, but a, a chain that guarantees privacy. And there are some of them, but unless you're using one of these, crypto is actually inferior to cash, but it's superior to like yeah. a digital okay. money, what a credit card network does and all that. So crypto is kind of in between. And to your question of what would happen in the future, I am with you on the fact that there might not be any cash anymore in the future. I would not be surprised at all. Do I look forward to this? Not really. But what I hope is that by then, the industry, the crypto industry, will have caught up in such a way that we can give people a reasonable alternative to cash. So, yes, you might not have the cash anymore, but now you have your crypto tokens and you can do just as well as with your cash. You can have the same guarantees. It can be cool. You can have like a little bit less danger. It can be great. And this is what I hope we will, we're moving towards. Okay. All right. Awesome. And before I let you go, you, you, what are you reading? I like to get book recommendations if you're reading. I'm actually like not reading much book. I'm reading papers. Like I'm okay. diving onto AI. And I mean, I just like, as you can see the servers behind me, like those are servers with like 4090s in them. And yeah, I'm reading back into like, I'm back in math and like, like a mm-hmm. lot of AI papers. Like the space is just so insane. And you have new papers coming like every other week and just going through this takes a lot of, of my little, of the little free time. I, I wish I had time to, to actually read some cool stuff. Like the last paper yeah. I read was really about like some pretty novel way of generating images on, on consumer hardware. And that was pretty amazing. But yeah, that's, that's what I've been reading recently, like more like papers, more papers okay. than books. Like there's a time for everything. And right now it's time for production. I think this is... We're leaving yeah. a time again, like this is not the subject of, the, of this, but what we're leaving with AI, like really yeah. take a look and observe around you because we're, we're probably living a form of a, re- of a revolution that we only live once every 10 years. And it's, it's amazing to be in the middle of that. Like have a look and yeah. enjoy this. This is really fun to watch. Yeah. And I hate, I didn't ask you about AI. How do you see AI, artificial intelligence affecting the blockchain world or the crypto world? That's pretty interesting. We're working on a lot of things like that to try to see where the intersection of AI and blockchain will be. And what I can foresee, the first the first step were just like extremely positive. Like you're using AI to audit smart contracts, like AI to, to help you with your security. Like it's the, your machine is telling you that looks sus, like this, this, this ain't safe. Like maybe don't okay. go there. Or, or maybe like giving the statistics around whatever you're doing right now, you might want to split your assets this way, that way. So a lot of mm-hmm. first, like assisting the users and then okay. might move towards like directly managing chains and managing protocols, like uh, AI managing a protocol because for a governance perspective, like who is to say that an AI would not just not do, take better, make better decisions than a group of humans. 
And I foresee that this will happen, like, you know, just at first as an experiment. And maybe there will be a purely AI-led um, decentralized autonomous organization that just works with tokens as incentives and, and all that. Like that will just not have no humans behind. Like for a company, it's kind of hard to imagine okay. today for people to have a company with only AI as a board of directors and uh, executives. <laughs> for a crypto wow. software, it's kind of easier to imagine. And from crypto software might be one of the places where the transition from human to machine comes first. And we will see that. We'll, we will, people will experiment. People like me will experiment. Like we'll I see where it goes. And after that, we'll, we're probably going to go towards more like autonomous companies. Let's see where it goes. But okay. I think there will be a lot. Well, uh, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your your evening to yeah, share some insights around the, the world of crypto crypto and blockchain because it's not a conversation that we have often here on data protection gumbo and the name gumbo means that i can bring in different anything technologies like blockchain <laughs> right anything i want i want to throw in the pot is what is what i do so claude thank you so much and any final final shout outs for mimo well, yeah, again, like we were supportive of the open source movement. What we do is transparent and safe and secure, or at least as secure as we can make it. So please come and check out what we're doing. Kuma protocol, tokenizing real world assets and giving you safe and sustainable yield. The parallel protocol, allowing you to leverage your assets without having to sell them. And soon, way more things like allowing you to, again, help you managing your finances through varying cycles. Because the bear market should not be the end, but the bull run should not be like a where you just go crazy and burn all your money. We will help you with all those things. Okay. And uh, until next time, Gumbo listeners, we will we'll see you on the next episode. And Claude, thank you so much for, for being a fantastic guest. Thanks a lot.